we continue in our gospel reading from the Gospel of Mark, the fifth chapter, picking up in verse 13. Starting in verse 14, I'm sorry. Those who tended the pigs ran away and told the story in the city and in the countryside. People came to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man who used to be demon-possessed. They saw the very man who had been filled with many demons sitting there, fully dressed and completely sane, and they were filled with awe. Those who had actually seen what had happened to the demon-possessed man told the others about the pigs. Then they pleaded with Jesus to leave their region. While he was climbing into the boat, the one who had been demon-possessed pleaded with Jesus to let him come along as one of his disciples. But Jesus wouldn't allow it. Go home to your own people, Jesus said, and tell them what the Lord has done for you and how he has shown you mercy. The man went away and began to proclaim in the ten cities all that Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. Here ends our reading from the Gospel of Mark, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, there are just some biblical passages that are hard to know what to do with. <laughs> we are working this year to bring our fifth to seventh grade students into worship, and I reached out to Riley this week and said, would you like to read a gospel reading? It's about demons and pigs who are drowned. And his mom said, yes. <laughs> that one he will do. So it's an interesting reading for today. Most of the people that I talked with this week as I was reading and contemplating and worrying about how to preach this passage had similar reactions to me. I would say, so I have to preach about demon possession this week and how a bunch of demons were in one man and Jesus sent them into a herd of pigs who threw themselves off a cliff and drowned. This was mostly met with raised eyebrows and responses of, seriously? I didn't know a story like that was in the Bible. It's no surprise that this story is not familiar to many people. We've started this new journey through the narrative lectionary and are going through the Gospel of Mark. And we're looking at the stories. We're looking at the stories about Jesus, the ones that aren't heard very often, the ones that might give us pause, but that are a part of Jesus' journey. This story contains several uncomfortable moments and very few usual Jesus moments. There isn't Jesus breaking bread and sitting with the sinner. There's no Jesus taking children onto his lap or talking about those who are blessed. This story is about down and dirty Jesus. This is an uncomfortable story that we don't always know what to do with. Hence, my sleepless nights this week. The idea of a demon is something which many people struggle with in modern times. Some people will not bat an eye at the idea of a person being possessed by a demon. Others have suggested in the reading of this passage that demon possession was a first century explanation for what we would call today a mental illness. I'm going to set aside the idea of talking about this story as mental illness, not because I think the topic of mental illness is unimportant. I think it's incredibly important. And I'm sure most, if not all of us, are touched by it in some way or another. But in the context of this text, Mark is interested in the idea of the embodiment 
of evil, the restoration of health and wholeness and the worth of one man. That's what I want to zero in on. I want to stress the point that in the context of this story, demons are real. Jesus believes in demons and converses with demons here. I realize the idea of literal demons possessing people may may be a bridge too far for some to cross. I admit that's the case for me most of the time. So we'll find middle ground in the truth of this text and of what Jesus says. Demons and devils are the personification of evil, and regardless of what you may think of demons, evil is quite real. We witness it every day, whether it is the mistakes we make personally by being, or by being hurt by the choices of others, we can see the marks of evil, or as we so often call it in the church, sin, everywhere. And evil can be a dehumanizing force. I read a wonderful exposition of this passage this week by Dr. Theodore Gerald Soares, who was a pastor and professor at University of Chicago. He wrote an exposition of this passage in 1909, and it spoke to me and how I was feeling about this passage, and he entitled it, The Worth of a Man. If I could go back and change the title of my sermon, it would be to that, The Worth of a Man, and I am in great debt to him for my sermon this morning. The reason that I originally titled this sermon, For We Are Many, was because I saw this passage as a story of many. Many disciples, many demons, many swine herders, many townspeople, many who heard this story. But it is eventually about the worth of one seemingly unredeemable man. I want to set the stage for a moment before jumping into an explanation of what Jesus did in this passage. In the passage directly preceding our story this morning, Jesus was in a boat with the disciples, and a great hurricane of a storm raged around them on the Sea of Galilee. That's the story where Jesus stood and rebuked the storm, and the seas were calm. The disciples were freaked out. Now, the trauma of that night had passed, The night was giving way to the day, and the disciples arrived on the other side of the lake in Gentile country. I can imagine that the disciples were finally looking forward to that quiet, restful aftermath after the avoidance of a crisis. They must have been so grateful to be alive that the dawn had risen and that they were getting out of the boat that almost toppled the night before. And yet, as we find in the start of our story, they do not find that peaceful place. Mark tells us that immediately as Jesus stepped out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came suddenly towards them. Immediately is a favorite word of the author of Mark's gospel. He employs it to demonstrate the immediacy of Jesus' ministry. He didn't have much time. His time on earth was short, and there was a lot for him to do. Mark moves the narrative along with this word. In the translation we read this morning, it said, as soon as Jesus got out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out of the tombs. The Gospels of Matthew and Luke both recount this event as well. Matthew remembers two men, but doesn't tell us anything about the second. And Luke adds that the man for a long time had worn no clothes. All three Gospels make the special point that he came out of the tombs. 
naked, unstable, living in a cemetery. And not like cemeteries where we bury our loved ones today. No, this first century cemetery was of open tombs hewn out of the side of a hill. Tombs where you could walk into, where bodies were laid out to decompose, and then all the bits were gathered up and put into boxes. The man lives there. And the word is to dwell or to settle there. His dwelling place was in the midst of death. He had been driven into the company of corpses by people. The community did not know what to do with this broken man. So their solution was to try to restrain him time and time again, to shackle him, to tie him down, but to no avail. And then I ask, what kind of person do you try to restrain? Well, it's a person who's out of control, who's dangerous. Matthew's gospel said he is so fierce that no one could pass by him. So they, re they chose to restrain the one who was ruining everything, hurting people, hurting himself, one who they, know, they didn't know what to do with. But he became strong enough to wrench the chains apart, to break the shackles. That community had dealt with him using physical restraint and now isolation. The condition of the man testifies to the failure of this method of care. I would argue in 20 centuries, we have not always improved our ability to help broken and hurting people. We still constrain and isolate. Now he lives among the tombs, and we read, night and day in the tombs and the hills, he would howl and cut himself with stones. Alone and ostracized, this man was reduced to a label, a possessed man. The ineffective cures of his culture had resulted in chains and tombs, restriction and isolation. And by their actions, the people drove him further into this dilemma. Now, Dr. Soares concludes that our problem, moral, physical, social, is the abnormal man. It meets us in thousands of forms. There are the unbalanced, the weak, the ignorant, the ineffective, the disheartened, the hypochondriac, the incompetent, the erring, the vicious, the brutal, the criminal. He goes on to say, our greatest problem is the man. What can we do with him? As Jesus and the Twelve advance up the shore, we see this poor man rushing out to meet them. They are facing that problem, which in some other form is the supreme problem of society, human abnormality. Perhaps, as Dr. Soares, the poor man still bore upon his body the broken fetters as he rushed down to the company of Jesus and the Twelve. If we cannot cure abnormality, he says, at least we can try to shackle it. We can lock people away. We can crush the movings of the discontent. But in contrast with all of this, this story exhibits the method of Jesus. He is fully aware of the character of the problem before him. There can be no doubt that Jesus understands the supreme human problem, that it is this abnormal man. Jesus meets this man, though, with supreme confidence. The worst abnormality does not frighten him or discourage him. 
Instead, Jesus met the dangerous man with calm. I believe that he thinks that he is capable of a cure. We reach the supreme significance of Jesus. There is no such thing as a hopeless case. This broken man yells out to Jesus. He asks him first to leave him alone, to swear to God that he will not torture him. And strikingly, this man calls Jesus son of God. Even the disciples, after he calmed the storm, look at Jesus and say, who is this man? But the demon-possessed man does not ask Jesus who he is. He names him son of the most high God. So Jesus returns the question, what is your name? He responded, Legion is my name because we are many. There is so much brokenness in this man, so many evils inside of him, and Jesus moves to action. Then Jesus commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Jesus appeals to the man, asks him his name, and then humors him in the idea that the demons may go into the swine. With his authoritative be gone, it compels the man to realize that he is freed. It is no matter how far Jesus diagnosed the case scientifically, whether the man had the evil that he had or not, Jesus believed, so he made the man believed. Jesus saw the humanity in this man and he restored it. Jesus is triumphant. God wins, humanity is restored in this man who was tortured and terrorized by evil. You think the good has come from this story. But the swine herders fled into the city with the news, and the people who had tried to tame the madman flocked out to see the wondrous sight. And there was the man, clothed, the restored personality seeming, seeking seemingly conditions of life in his right mind, normal, complete. In a lot of gospel stories, this is the point where the people start bringing those in the community who were sick and lame and possessed for Jesus to heal. Yet this story zigs where we expect it to zag. When they heard how it happened and about the pigs, they demanded that Jesus leave. And how glaringly, obviously unfit it seems, the dismissal of the healer. It is the only instance in Jesus' ministry where people asked him to go away after healing someone. It's also the only instance where his ministry cost people anything. It cost these people their livestock. The attitudes of these many people are brought into play here, for they saw the dead swine and not the healed man. They were aware of the presence of Christ, but not the power of his healing. They saw the man, but cared more for the pigs. Their devastation over the loss of their livestock prevented them from realizing the worth of the freed man. Jesus had cost them too much, and his healing powers needed to go elsewhere. And just like the disciples in the boat, they were afraid. 
These people are more afraid of Jesus than when they had the madman living in the tombs. They beg Jesus to go away, get out of here. We're better off with the evil that we know that we're trying to deal with than the healing that you're bringing. Go away. And so without a word, Jesus does. He gets into the boat ready to head out. The story of this changed man answers a question that lingered at the end of chapter 4. Remember, we're in chapter 5. Chapter 4 that we read last week, Jesus says, who is the good soil? The seed has clearly taken root in the possessed man. The least significant and least likely place imaginable His change comes about through no human initiation whatsoever. In this man, the reader finally meets an example of good soil. The seed takes root in the absolute last place anyone would look or expect. And this is not a temporary blooming later to wither away like the seed in the rocks. The man, as Jesus gets into the boat, asks Jesus if he might go with him, be a disciple. Like the demons and like the community, he begs Jesus here again. But he doesn't beg the teacher to leave. The man of the tombs begs Jesus to take him on as one of his students, as his disciple. The phrase with which he asks directly echoes the call of the disciples in chapter 1 of Mark. Again, this story zigs. Jesus doesn't oblige this request. He doesn't agree. Instead, he says, no, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So unlike the disciples who needed coddling and correction and attention from Jesus, the former demonic needs no help whatsoever. Instead, as the people send him away in the midst of their devastating loss, Jesus sends this man, and he goes immediately on a preaching mission, which is wildly successful. Everyone was amazed at his story. He went out of his community, the place of anger and rejection, to people hungry for Jesus' words. The worth of this man, the story of his redemption, brought people to faith in Jesus, son of the most high God. This time, no one was scared. And let this be the story that we share, the worth of man, the worth of each one of us, named and redeemed by God, grace upon grace that leads us to salvation, the free gift given to us. Thanks be to God for that. Let us pray. Holy and merciful God, we thank you for the worth that you give us, for the name that you give us, for the ways that you claim us. Help us this week to be one that does not send you away, but one that goes out into the countryside to tell of that grace upon grace, that others may know of your saving power. In Jesus' name, amen.